This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome to episode number 263 of Literary Treks, your official Star Trek books and comics podcast here on the Trek FM network. And I'm Bruce Gibson. I thank you so much for joining us today for this episode. And I want to introduce my co-host, the mighty Dan Gunther. How are you doing, mighty Dan Gunther. I'm doing okay. I, I don't know how mighty I feel, but I, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> now, do you know why I'm calling you the mighty Dan Gunther? I have an idea. There was there was a Twitter thread I noticed, a conversation happening that had something to do with that that I didn't really chime in on because I, I, I didn't know what to think of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was uh, one of our favorite Star Trek authors, Keith R.A. DeCandido, he wrote a tweet about one of your reviews of the IKS Gorkin novel, Honored Bound, that you had posted on your site. And he said it was a very nice review by the mighty Dan Gunther. And I said, well, I should introduce you that way. And he said, you absolutely should do that. <laughs> so there you go. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I... Don't thank me. Thank Keith. All right. Well, thank you very much, Keith. I appreciate being the mighty Dan Gunther. <laughs> <laughs> well, on today's show, we have our feature that follows up on the last episode where we're going to review the second book of Star Trek Voyager Spirit Walk. And that second book is called Enemy of My Enemy by Christy Golden. And Brandy Jacola is going to join us. Well, at least I hope she does. We'll have to call her or email her and ask to see if she'll join us since she was on the last episode. So fingers crossed that she'll be available. I'm hoping she's just sitting there at her computer waiting for us. We'll find out. I hope so. I really should have gotten, we should have gotten in touch with her sooner, but uh, yeah, that's an oops on our part. Oh, well, well I'm, I'm sure it will work out. But before we do that, let's go into the news because we have a release date now for the TNG novel Collateral Damage. And this book is by David Mack, and it's coming out on, drumroll please, 
October 8th, 2019. And that's per a post we've seen on Amazon. So Amazon.com is listing the book being available on October 8th of 2019. Mm -hmm. That's one week after my birthday. So uh, a little bit of a belated birthday gift for myself there that I'll be sure to pick up. They do also have the blurb on Amazon, I noticed. Um, I don't know if we want to hold that until we get a cover and we'll do those together or... Um, No, let's go ahead and do the blurb now. I want to know what this is all about. Okay, well, this one sounds exciting. The past returns to haunt Captain Jean-Luc Picard. A crime he thought long buried has been exposed, and he must return to Earth to answer for his role in a conspiracy that some call treason. Meanwhile, the USS Enterprise is sent to apprehend pirates who have stolen vital technology from a fragile Federation colony. But acting Captain Commander Worf discovers that the pirates' motives are not what they seem, and that sometimes standing for justice means defying the law. Oh yeah, I can't wait because this is a follow-up book from Control, and mm-hmm. we've seen Control in the Star Trek Discovery, so mm, should be yeah. interesting. Definitely looking forward to this. And some people have pointed out as well that the new Picard series, if they keep on the schedule that they initially said they wanted to keep on, it will be releasing uh, towards the end of 2019. So this book will be released in the same quarter as the Picard series. So I have to imagine, we know there's, there's coordination between the writer's rooms and the novel writers, there's got to be some kind of little bit of a tie-in of some kind, right? I mean, we can't say that for sure, but there's got to be something, I would think. Well, I can tell you for sure that David Mack is a member of Section 31, and Section 31 actually does exist in our universe, and so he's sneaky, and he's sneaking around the set and the writer's room and stealing their ideas to make this novel, so... No, <laughs> just kidding, of course. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll find out. It is interesting that we're getting this novel at the same time. We're getting a new Picard series. So maybe there is some coordination to make sure that there is a bit of a tie-in between the two, that they don't contradict each other too much So or not at all. So that will be interesting. We'll have to ask him when he comes on the show. I'm just assuming he'll come on the show, of course. Uh, uh, we'll find out about that. <laughs> awesome. Well, definitely can't wait for that one. Uh, you know, I, I'm just so excited that we're getting regular Star Trek fiction back and especially the the continuation of those uh, post-Nemesis novels as well. So very, uh, very excited about that. And then we have a new comic to review, which is really great. And it is Star Trek Discovery. And this is the annual for 2019. And it is called Captain Saru. Captain Saru, you ask? Well, he isn't captain of Discovery. Well, he is temporarily acting captain if you look at the last episode of season one, because Giorgio isn't there anymore. Lork is not there anymore. And uh, so Saru is temporarily in command. So when this annual starts off, we find out that Saru is on Earth. And that's what threw me off at first, because he's having this dream about blueberries on Discovery. And then he wakes up from the dream and out his window is the Louvre in Paris. And I thought, wait, what's he doing on Earth? And then we see him and Burnham walking through the museum 
And I thought, wait, they don't have a hollow deck. <laughs> then I realized, <laughs> oh, this is when they were on Earth prior to going into season two. Mm-hmm. So what did you think at this point? Um, I'm I'm really into this. That that whole opening with Saru's blueberry dream, I thought was really great. I really laughed at that. Um and right off the bat here, the character voices just seem so bang on. Like I don't know what exactly it is about, you know, capturing Saru's voice here that just totally sounds like Doug Jones. And then you know, we get a little bit of Michael Burnham here at the begin- beginning as well. And I'm just totally hearing their voices here. That, I think, combined with the really great artwork just really drew me into this story immediately. And I actually laughed out loud when uh, Saru is talking to Burnham on the comm and he says, you know, my apologies. I was enjoying a pleasant dream. And Burnham says, the blueberry one? <laughs> the very same. Like, there's just <laughs> this these relationships between these characters, like, just everything is pitch perfect here. I was, I thought I was watching an episode of discovery. No, I agree with that. And I, I do think it's funny that he's known for having blueberry dreams and we you know, saw him eating blueberries on one of the episodes of discovery. And uh, just to mention that Kirsten Beyer, who uh, works on the series wrote this with Mike Johnson. So, uh, you know, there's a connection to the series uh, with this comic. And there's also some references to some of the discovery novels, like fear itself is mentioned in here. And also the recent Tilly novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fear itself and the weight of the stars are both referenced and in kind of an old school, uh, thing. And I think we've even brought this up recently about reading comics and stuff where they used to have the little footnotes that tell you where things are from and how they've kind of gotten away from that. We get, you know, as seen in the, in the novel fear itself by James Swallow and as seen in the weight of the stars by Una McCormick. So they're really pushing this kind of cross, uh, this, this wider universe that they've built here. And that was really cool. I'm loving those footnotes. Yeah. And this mission that Saru is all of a sudden sent on with discovery it revolves around Tilly being on the science vessel that her dad served on. And she briefly served on as a kid that we saw in the way to the stars novel. And that's the Dorothy Garrett Mm -hmm. and it is missing. And this is one of those things where I'm always kind of roll my eyes. I've seen this so many times where, well, Discovery's the only ship that's close enough to go and save it. It's like, well, Discovery's on earth. You can't tell me that's the only starship that's there. It's going through a refit and it's got a skeleton crew. <laughs> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Seems very familiar. I did kind of chuckle at that as well, because, you know, if if the series were about the Enterprise, it would be the Enterprise. But it's Star Trek Discovery. So the Discovery is the closest ship. Of course, exactly. you know, they've got to pull the Star Trek tropes. And, and that was kind of I have to say it was funny to see. But I enjoyed the fact that then they had to go uh, on this mission and Saru has to be captain temporarily. And, you know, he does a a good job. I mean, you know, it feels like he's maybe ready for command or at least he's ready to continue being a first officer. But even at one point, Burnham even suggests that, you know, if he does real well, whatever, they'll, you know, probably make him captain of Discovery regardless. And. He's like, no, I don't think I'm ready, and I don't think they would put me in that position. And I thought that was interesting that Saru doesn't feel like he's ready to be in command. Yeah, and it's it's one of those cases where we know how this ends up, and we know they're not going to choose him uh, as the captain. So it, it's interesting that 
you know, he does very well on this mission. Um, you know, he does, there's certain decisions that are made that, that impact the end that maybe people might find fault with, but for the most part, I think he does really well. So I kind of agree that, you know, Starfleet had already made up its mind. And even though Admiral Cornwell says, you know, Starfleet's watching on this, we want to see how ready you are for being a captain. I think like story-wise, we know that he was never going to be the captain after this, but I, I agree that Starfleet had already made up its mind. And the other thing about this mission is that the Dorothy Garrett is been taken over by some Orions and now they want discovery and they manipulate their way to get onto discovery and get the crew off of discovery onto the Garrett. And it's interesting how then all of a sudden we find out that Saru actually stayed hidden on discovery and he's crawling through conduits and such and taking down different Orions that are walking around the ship. And I kind of enjoyed that because I just didn't expect to see that from Saru. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a neat uh, aspect to his character. And a lot of in the in a lot of these scenes, all we see is his shadow on the wall <laughs> yeah. as he's kind of stalking these guys and taking them out, you know, just a couple at a time and crawling through these access crawlways that are not built for the captain's dimensions in mind, as he says. And I, I I like this because it's kind of using his innate abilities, as they've said, as a as a uh, prey species. So, you know, if you flip that around, he knows really well how to hide and how to blend into his surroundings and, you know, get past people. And this time he uses it to be on the offensive, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, overall, I really like this. I agree with you. The artwork is great by Angel Hernandez. And I just really thought this was a good uh, story. It's an annual, so it's a little longer than a regular issue. And I really like the relationship between Saru and Burnham because it's playing off of that. They are somewhat close and there's a respect between them, but they also acknowledge that it always hasn't been easy. Yeah. I think the, those little quiet character moments, as much as I love the, the overall like actiony plot parts, those little quiet moments, I think are the best parts of this comic. Those especially those uh, conversations between Burnham and Saru. And in this one at the end, they kind of, they, they start to hint a little bit at this mysterious captain that's waiting for them on Vulcan, which was kind of cool. Um, we don't get a name. We still don't know who this captain was, or even if they'll still be there waiting for Vulcan when Pike's done in season two at the end of season two, but Burnham says Starfleet's mind was already made up. They chose someone with years of experience. Neither of us have yet. So I'm wondering who is this captain? I really want to know, but I think I don't it's know April, April. Hmm. Could be. Yeah. First captain of the NCC 1701, but I don't know. That's my suspicion. Hmm. I've seen a lot of people wondering if it was to Paul, which I, don't I always know. like that too. Yeah. I think that's a neat theory, especially since uh, the captain in question, he or she is waiting for them on Vulcan. So yeah. I don't know. Well, I've, I've often thought, well, even though they're waiting on Vulcan, does it mean they're Vulcan? But I love the idea of T'Pol. I mean, that would, mm-hmm. I, that would actually make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Tears of joy. <laughs> and, and, you know, we still don't know if we'll ever find out about who that captain was or not. Maybe it might be something yeah. that's completely dropped because that was quite a while ago that that captain was going to take over. So, yeah, I don't expect that that captain will be 
coming onto Discovery on the mm-hmm. series. But yeah, I think you're right. We may never find out. So, oh, wow. One thing we do know is what people think of our last, well, not our last episode, but our previous episode of Literary Treks, where we reviewed the novel Vulcan's Glory. And that episode was called A Gem of a Novel. And this is episode 261. So if we go onto Facebook and look at what people commented about this episode, we have Jim Stoffel say, I liked the novel as well. Mm-hmm. Well, good. That means that's at least one person that likes it with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can add another tick to that column because Clara Jean Cook says, I actually really enjoyed this book. So, so far we're, we're you know, a lot of people agreeing with us this, that this was a really good novel. And Mark Keller says, thanks for the tip. Yes, the tip is to read this book. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan Reeves uh, brings up the short-lived Early Voyages comics, uh, asking, you know, what about them? Kind of another really interesting depiction of Captain Pike. Those were put out by Marvel Comics in the 90s. I personally really loved those comics. uh, And, you know, I, I think that would be an interesting thing to cover someday on Literary Treks. Yeah, because as we're planning the calendar for the year, we put in a lot of the Pike novels. So we're going to be hitting a bunch of those here soon. And I thought about these comics and I was like, I don't I'm not sure how to work this in. I mean, we don't we've got other things coming up like the post nemesis books and and the new novels and such. And I didn't know how we can maybe even fit this in as a feature because there's too many comics to review in one feature. So you'd have to break it up into different ones. So yeah, maybe we'll figure out some way somehow to, to get to those. I don't know, but you don't need to hear what we think about them. Just go read them yourselves. Go find them, go Mm -hmm. read them. It'll be a lot of fun. So Bill sweet says, mark your calendars guys. I agreed with you. <laughs> I love that com that comment. I thought that was really funny. Uh yeah, I've got that on my calendar. That's uh that's great. <laughs> <laughs> So Justin Ozer uh, has a a rather lengthy comment here about uh, Vulcan's glory. So he says, there was a lot that I loved about this novel. I love the characters, the era, the mystery of the glory and how the story on the planet unfolded. However, two of the things that you mentioned bothered me a lot. First, the death of Tapris got me so upset that I almost stopped reading the novel at that point. I really dislike when female characters are killed off in service of a male character being spurred on to do something which is what happens here. I loved the character of Tapris, and there were other ways to accomplish what was needed for the plot. It would have been much better if Tapris and Spock solved the mystery together, and there was also a different reason why the relationship didn't work out. Second, I was really disappointed that Scotty's involvement was limited to drinking and setting up and hiding a still. I feel like he should have had some involvement in solving an engineering problem, or otherwise not been included in this novel. His involvement in this novel being fo- being focused on drinking felt like a real disservice to the character as there's so much more to Scotty. Yeah, and I, I have a hard time arguing with some of these points because I, I also agree, you know, the, the idea of killing off a character in service, uh, a female character in service of a male character's story and that being the only purpose they serve in the story. That is problematic and it is annoying when it happens. And in the discussion of the novel that we're going to be talking about today, that kind of tangentially comes up a little bit in this one as well. So it's, it's a, it's a trope that happens over and over and over and it is annoying. I didn't really have a problem with Scotty's role in this novel. I felt like, I mean, I I understand what you're saying about uh, his drinking being the sole focus, but 
I don't know. I kind of just liked where his character was at in his career. He wasn't a chief engineer yet. He's just kind of a junior officer making his mark on the enterprise. And, you know, maybe we don't like how he made his mark so much, but I don't know. I thought it was a fun part of the story and it was a nice little bit of a reprieve from the heavier parts of the plot for me. Yeah. I didn't mind the Scotty thing too. I just thought it was just a lighthearted minor storyline just have a nice little fun time and laugh during more serious things. And we have so much Scotty in so many other books that I don't mind if we have one little off funny little Scotty moment in his youth, you know, drinking the hooch, which by the way, Jen Foley says, I really like this novel though. I do agree that I was sad to see a great character like Depris killed off. I loved the Spock Pike and number one backstory as well as the engineer, Caitlin Barry. It would have been great had DC Fontana written more stories about this crew. One thing you didn't mention in the podcast that I found intriguing was that number one was in love with Pike, though she'd probably never let him know. If any Discovery writers read this book, I wonder if that will factor into the show. I've seen so little of her so far. Yeah, I know we did forget to mention about that. There mm-hmm. was, I mean, it wasn't a big part of the book, but yeah, there was mention that there's interest uh, in Pike from number one. Yeah, that was an interesting part that kind of, you know, puts a little bit of uh, extra meaning on the events of the cage as well, which will happen in a few years after this book. So that was that was kind of intriguing. And there was some suspicion there that Pike had interest in her, too, you know, so, Mm -hmm. yeah. But she's perfect. Yes. (laughs) And Jen goes on to say, in an amazing coincidence, just as Bruce said, Scotty has his hooch and Spock has his hoochie mama. (laughs) I was driving past the Hooch Golf Course. I'm not making that up. It's a golf course near my house, so named because it sits on the Chattahoochee River. Now, every time I drive past it, I'll be laughing. Okay. Well, I have never been to the Hooch Golf Club, but I do live fairly close to Jen. We have met in person a couple of times. And uh, I'm sure at some point when I pass the Hooch Golf Club now, I'm going to be thinking of this myself. (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting i i love like when little coincidences like this come up and she's actually even uh linked to the the golf courses website here which is kind of nice so we all we know she's telling the truth so that's yeah in duluth georgia (laughs) all right well that's it thank you everyone who uh made comments on our post on facebook and we'll continue to do this on future episodes as we post them on the babel conference And so at this point, I think it's best that we just go right into the feature. I agree. Let's jump right in and start talking about the conclusion of Spirit Walk. All right. So on the last episode, we talked about the first book in Spirit Walk. And now we're going to talk about the second book in the Spirit Walk duology of Star Trek Voyager by Christy Golden. And this is called Enemy of My Enemy. And Dan... On the last episode, we had Brandy Jacola here, so I think we should invite her back to do the second part of this duology. I think that's a good idea. Let me uh, email her. I probably should have done this before we even thought about recording this, but let me email her and, and see if we can get her on the show. Okay. Hopefully she's online and she'll see it soon. Um, I don't want to wait too well, long. I got a but... read receipt okay. and she says, yeah, cool. All right. Uh, let's get her on. Okay, just let's give her a moment to to get in here. 
Um, Hi. Oh, good. There, wow. wow. You were just on top of things. Look at you. I was, I was sitting by my computer just waiting. <laughs> just waiting for an invitation. You were waiting to see if the call would ever be made to bring mm-hmm. you back to I literary really tricks. I'm so happy. So I probably happy. should have emailed you sooner, but glad it worked out for sure. You know, I, I knew you guys would come through for me. It's all, <laughs> it's all good. Okay. Well, I hope that you read the second book. Did I? Yes, of course I did. I wouldn't show up here just without any knowledge. And besides that, cliffhangers, you know I hate those. Got to find out what happens. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes, I read it. <laughs> Great. Excellent. So, in this book, there are things that are wrapping up some of the things that we read in the first book. And uh, let's talk about the changeling. He was punished by the founders for not following orders. Naughty little changeling. And confined to a single form, just kind of like Odo. Now, however, he has used Krell Mosset's research to expand his abilities to take different forms of approximately the same size and shape. And then he tends to use the Sky Spirit DNA to create a race of servants and form his own dominion. So in the meantime, he changed from being Andrew Ellis, that was the first officer, on discover, oh, not on discovery, on Voyager, and then <laughs> I know I'm so used to talking about discovery lately. But and I'm here, so it's distracting. That's I'm why sorry. I thought we were live right now. I'm so confused. <laughs> and then he changed from Andrew Ellis to Chakotay because he captured Chakotay. They have him in there. Mossett has Chakotay in the lab or whatever with his sister, and so now. Of course, the changing goes on Voyager, and everybody thinks he's the captain, but he's not acting like his normal self. Something weird's going on. And so they get suspicious. And so then we have uh, Dr. Kaz and Harry Kim are in the sick bay, and they're like, okay, I think something weird's going on. I think something, you know, let's contact Janeway. Let's contact Seven of Nine. Let's contact the doctor. Let's contact Neelix. No, they don't go contact Neelix. (laughs) But they're looking for some help to kind of figure out the problem. So how do you guys, how did you like how this changeling storyline went? Because this is probably the main part of the storyline of this novel. Well, I was pretty surprised. So we learn early on that he had been, he had replaced Andrew Ellis for something like on the order of six years or so, like a good chunk of this guy's Starfleet career. So the Andrew Ellis that everybody knew had in fact been this changeling. Which we questioned in the last episode. Yeah. We didn't know how long he had been. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so I, I wasn't expecting that. I thought, oh, they have Andrew Ellis on the planet in stasis, I guess sometime after the away team beamed down, you know, he replaced him, but no, it's been quite a while. So it's interesting that this has been, you know, a plan years in the making. And I also have to say, I like how they did it with him replacing Chakotay. There was nothing immediately like anytime they have this storyline where somebody replaces somebody else, it's always they act completely out of character and so over the top. There's an episode of Voyager called Vis-a-Vis where somebody replaces uh, Tom Paris and he starts fights with Bolana and is, you know, just doing all this stuff that's crazy. And like, of course, somebody's going to know. But in this case, he's pretty reserved and he's just making little slip ups here and there and not doing things quite properly and not showing the same relationships that he has. So I like that it was a little more subtle and you can kind of get away with that in a book. So I really appreciated that part of it. 
Yeah, and just just to say, because this is the this is the second book in this duology, I'm gonna say we're gonna hit spoilers probably very soon because this really is doing like the last half of a story. So mm-hmm. spoilers galore. Here's how I felt about that. I actually, when it's one of these things where the reader knows this one thing is going on and everybody else doesn't, I can sometimes get really annoyed with that, especially with someone replacing someone else. But the the wonderful joke of it all is that the changeling thinks he's the smartest person in the room mm-hmm. and he ain't. Oh, no, he is not. But he's so confident, which dumb people always are extremely confident. He's so confident that, you know, he's going to pull all of this off. And the thing is, they start picking up on it right away. And I'm like, yes, thank you. It's not going to be like 90% of the rest of this book, them figuring this out. Mm -hmm. I did kind of feel like, really? If Chakotay's not himself, your brain doesn't very first go to Changeling? Because that's where mine would have gone had I not known about a Changeling. But I I appreciated the fact that the Voyager crew weren't made to look like the smart, intelligent officers that they are. And that they start picking up on these things and they start investigating them. And that, I was just like, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciated that. I think it's interesting that you said you, you would naturally assume it's a changeling if Chakotay's not acting himself. And that was one of the nitpicks I had about this book was that they did make that assumption. And I thought of all the stories we've seen in Star Trek, there's a lot of times where a character's not acting like themselves because, well, maybe they're from the mirror universe. Maybe they're possessed from some alien being, you know? And I thought just because someone's not acting like themselves doesn't, I mean, yeah. Changeling is definitely on the list, but I wouldn't just assume that's the one thing. But to pen, also we have to think what time frame this is in the context of things going on at that time where we just got out of the Dominion War and changelings definitely are on the mind of people. We hadn't had any mere universe things going on, so they're not probably going to suspect like this is somebody from the mere universe or something like that. But I did like how Sakaya was on the planet and she is captured. She's in that lab and the fake Chakotay, the changeling is up on the ship and he brings the dead body of Ellis with him. And they're like, Oh, well, where's, where's your sister? And he's like, Oh, she, she died too. Well, we'll go recover her body. No, no, no. Don't worry about that. Just, just leave her there. And that was the really thing that tipped them off. And it's like, mm-hmm. Chakotay wouldn't just leave it. Why would he bring Ellis and leave his sister's dead body on the planet? Because there is no dead body on the planet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I love how it was ultimately confirmed, at least to Kim and Kaz, that it was a changeling. Because And it, and it comes into this overconfidence, like you said, Brandy. If we're going right into spoilers, like this is fairly near the end, um, where they're reading this message that they've gotten partially, uh, gotten this partial me- message from Seven of Nine and their think tank has kind of sussed this all out. Said Andrew or Andrew Ellis uh, is you know was not the right person, and Chicote has now been replaced by a, and they're like by a what? And he walks into sick bay, and he's like a changeling, dun dun dun, <laughs> and he really is like we can call him the Dunning Kruger changeling because he just he thinks he's so smart and does not know you know that he's leaving all these clues everywhere, and he's just 
way too overconfident. And another aspect of his character that was, you know, put in from time to time is this kind of casual uh, psychopathy almost where, you know, he's talking to someone and they're just being normal and cheerful or whatever. And in his mind, he's thinking, hmm, yeah, when this is all over, I am definitely going to strangle you. Cool. And it's just that part I found really chilling. Like there's there's a lot of really interesting parts to this changeling. And yeah, I, I was surprised by um, how much that uh, kind of came into his character. I thought that was pretty interesting. Because he has to be Mr. Nicey Nice, because that's what Chicote would do. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, but I really want to strangle this person. And there's something really scary about having a conversation with somebody that seems totally normal and they're thinking in that moment of murdering you. Like, there's just something about that that that's kind of chilling. I don't like that. That's very scary. <laughs> that's why they're called psychopaths. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are scary. I'm trying to recall why he wanted Voyager. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember either because it didn't seem to be a very important thing. <laughs> I know. I know he wanted to get away and disappear or whatever, but why, if he wanted to establish this particular new dominion, I mean, why not just do it where he was? That didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, because as we mentioned earlier, that he was punished by the founders. He wasn't part of them anymore. They excluded him because he was doing things like this prior to that. So, yeah, so one of the founders showed up years ago and shot him with like this ray gun thing where he can't change his shape and size and he he's a solid now and he's in that form of Ellis, but they did that because he was a maverick. He was just doing his own things. He was messing with things on Bajor and and other places and whatever and they said, you know, you're 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 not following our ways. You're not doing what we need you to do. We sent you on a mission and you're doing your own thing. And so now you're a solid, but I can't recall. I mean, I know he was working with Krell Mossett to get his powers back of being a changeling. I don't know if they're really powers, but have the ability to do the changing. But I don't really recall why he was on like wanting to capture Voyager and get into mm-hmm. the Federation and stuff. Yeah, he seemed I, to be uh... just kind of all over the place because, you know, he initially sets course back with Voyager and then kind of comes to realize when his senior staff is like, no, we need to go back and investigate. He's like, okay. So they turn around and head back to the planet, which seems to almost take longer for them to get back to the planet than it took for them to leave it. I don't know. It it seemed like he was really aimless and didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. He was just very indecisive. There was just more exposition on the way back than there was on the way out. That's very probably the case. Yeah. Mm. He just kind of laid low for, a few days or something. Yeah. Nothing happened on this day. You turn the page. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, that could possibly happen. So, yeah, it's it's difficult to get a sense of time oh, how many over how many days or hours or whatever this whole thing takes place because time doesn't seem to match up. Like, again, like you said, Dan, it seems to, it took a lot more time getting back than it did to leave. And that's one of those things that kind of bothered me about this book is that I couldn't really reconcile how these things were happening in this time. Like how quick the Delta Flyer got there. I mean, I just like, 
okay, I don't understand the time frames here anymore. How I mean, how long has it been since Janeway said to take the Delta Flyer and go? Was it hours? Was it a day? How far away are they? Yeah, it was just it, kind I of mean, like the next chapter, Paris enters orbit of yeah, the planet. I mean... And I guess Voyager's gotten back, too. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and with, with warp drive, I know that you can get places faster, but you still can't get anywhere instantaneously. So it's just, I just couldn't, that was one thing I had trouble with, is I couldn't establish what time meant in this part of the novel. <laughs> every, every ship in this novel moved at the speed of plot. <laughs> yes that is the correct answer yeah I, the timing thing with the delta flyer didn't bother me too much because i thought there was a line that janeway mentioned to tom when she sent him off on the delta flyer as if they weren't all that far like they were in that same realm sector of space or something I don't know why. Maybe that's just something I put in myself, but I remember thinking that they were fairly close. Yeah, it's just hard to tell how much time elapsed. I just don't... It seemed like, oh, all of a sudden he's there. Okay, now I know that you have warp capability here, but still, it should have taken what? I mean, how long does it take? How far can you travel at warp nine in an hour? Someone explained that to me. Someone put on a, <laughs> that on a chart. So that I can explain. <laughs> chart it out. <laughs> chart it out for me. Somebody out there, I bet, has a chart. I'll bet you Well, money. and when Chakotay and Sakaya are in that lab, I mean, they're captured. I, I, The timing thing is something that I was wondering with that. Like, how long were they there? This is something that's always kind of bothered me in a lot of different things. When someone is captured and they're like, you know, <laughs> you're like, like they, they can't just have been strapped to a table for Right. three weeks like, like how right? did they go to the bathroom did they just do it on the table did somebody feed them did somebody give them water like you know yeah i didn't i almost assumed that yeah it had been more than a few days that they were there it would have to have been and so and then that that's one of those reasonable things that i always wonder too because chakotay and sakaya are human they do require nutrition to li to live. And the only thing that I could come up with is, well, maybe he's got them on a liquid diet and put catheters in. That's the only thing I could come up with. And nobody wants to talk about that in a Star Trek novel. So No, but if there's future technology like that, I'd like to know. Or right? maybe Chakotay didn't need to eat or use a bathroom he just would project himself into the spirit world <laughs> of his walk and do it there. And, like, they don't mention Chakotay's full beard at the end of the book. Was Krelmaset shaving him? Or, like, what was going on? <laughs> no, Dan. Look, we've never seen Chakotay with a beard. He can't have a beard. Just like Spock. We never saw Spock with a beard. You can't have him with a beard. That's true. If, if you've never seen it before, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, because we've absolutely covered every single second of these characters' lives already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say, based on what we're talking about, we find it kind of a weak motivation behind this villain, this change. Agree. Yes. Mm -hmm. But then he's kind of a dumb guy, so it's not really surprising. Yeah, I don't I don't even necessarily think the founders punished him necessarily just because he was a maverick and doing things on his own. I think they're like, this guy's dumb and he's going to lose us the war. He's an embarrassment. <laughs> 
Yeah, That's that was point. the thing. Yeah. He was an embarrassment. Because we only ever see it from his perspective and what the Vorda tells him when she, you know, fulfills the founder's will in doing that to him. And the founders aren't going to tell a Vorda all the their thought processes behind her having to go punish another god. So, yeah. you know, like, yeah, I honestly think the founders were like, well, we can't harm another because no changeling has ever harmed another until Odo. Although I don't see how this isn't harm, but all of that aside, you know, they're not going to kill him. So they're just taking him out of the picture. And I think honestly, because he's completely incompetent. Yeah, I would have to agree with that because, and that is one thing about, uh, about psychopaths and sociopaths is they definitely create their own realities. Mm -hmm. So what they think about themselves is probably miles and miles from what they actually are or how other people see them. So I would I would absolutely agree that he was an embarrassment more than he was dangerous. But he was dangerous because he was an embarrassment, because they couldn't control the kind of damage he could do just out of stupidity. I thought it was really creepy how he had kept Ellis, the real Ellis, in stasis for such a long period of time, for years, and then he pulls him out of there and just starts stabbing him. Oh. Yep. With the scalpel, just to then take him to Voyager and show that he's dead as the changeling is shaped as Chakotay. And the thing is, it's like you said, he's stupid because it didn't take them long to figure out that this guy didn't die from the wounds of these creatures or whatever on the plant with their fangs and their claws. It was the, it's a scalpel. It's a clean cut into mm. his body. Several of them. And just telling the doctor, oh, you're too busy to focus on doing an autopsy right now. Don't do that for now. Like that was just going to like keep him from doing the autopsy at any point ever. You yeah. Know? Well, like, there's a million things you could do to, to you know, I, I don't know, like say it in his will that he required an immediate burial or I don't know, whatever, like vaporize the body somehow, <laughs> you know. I, I know there's just no reason for that to be uncovered for him to leave it open for un being uncovered so easily. Yeah. Well, and see, that's the whole reason that he keeps these, I'm going to say originals alive is so that at such time that he needs to make an escape, he has a body to produce so that people won't be looking for him. So, which I'm sure he thinks is very smart, but I mean, for heaven's sake, Forensic scientists from 20 years ago could tell the difference between a claw mark and a scalpel cut. And, and this the fact is that so the body looks so much younger, too, yeah. which gets pointed yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> which that's kind of funny, too, because Dr. Kaz is looking at it like, yeah, he actually, dead, he actually looks a little better. He looks younger. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Dying really has really gone the right way for you. That was the right move. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, if you'll pardon the expression. <laughs> we will pardon that expression. <laughs> not you. the sharpest scalpel in the, no, anyway. <laughs> scalpel on the tray? I don't know. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, staying with this character for one more point, he is still out there, right? Yeah. I mean, he did, it almost left it open for his character to return. And since Christy Golden's not writing Voyager books anymore, I seriously doubt we'll see this character come back. But did you like that it just 
he's just still out there? Would you rather have seen this whole thing just being resolved? Because I guess you can tell from my tone of voice, I just wished it was resolved. I wanted closure. I didn't get it. There's nothing I hate more than someone escaping justice. It just enrages me. I'm like, no, no, this guy pays for what he did. Mm-hmm. But no. And especially this guy, because I don't I don't know what Christy Golden would have had planned in future novels, but he's not a good adversary. Like this guy no. is a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that lets him do anything is his abilities as a changeling, which were interestingly limited in the book. I, I kind of liked that they had that limitation on him, yeah. but that's literally the only thing about him. He's not interesting. He doesn't have good motivations that, you know, I can kind of, you know, say, oh, that's interesting to chew on. That That's a really cool perspective. No, he's just a bumbling idiot who I don't even know what his motivations are at this point. Like, he's going to create a new dominion to run. No, he's not. He's, he's, you know, he's like Brenna Covington becoming the new Borg Queen. Well, that's never going to happen. Like, what's going on with these villains in these books? Yeah, it's just, it was not satisfying at all. Well, he's getting better at his abilities because he could only, he could only shapeshift into males. And now we see at the end, he's a woman. Don't care. (laughs) <laughs> do not care mm-hmm. I that's expected, about where i'm at yeah i expected too. some sort of scene like that and i'm like could not care less and where, was anybody honestly surprised when when she in quotes was talking to janeway like like two sentences in i was like oh this is the changeling yep <laughs> yeah yeah no i saw that too Oh, well. Well, that's it for the changeling, then. We're done with him. See ya. Uh, Yeah, too bad we can't incarcerate him. (laughs) We should write our own fandom book. Yes. He dies in, like, the first three pages. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He comes to a very stupid end, just like his life. That's what I want. That's kind of almost like I, I feel like after speaking with Janeway, he got in his ship and like unbalanced the warp reaction and it just blew up or something. <laughs> like he like forgot that. to hit the flashing red button that makes it not do that. And it just mm-hmm. blew up. <laughs> I, I would have been OK with that. You know, I never read these novels before, but I've read all the novels after this by Kirsten Beyer. And I don't know because it wouldn't have stood out to me at the time. But I don't know. Maybe this is briefly addressed. Maybe there's a line in one of the novels that says something about his character. I I mean, Mm. when I read those, I wouldn't have known anything about this character, so it wouldn't have stood out to me. Yeah, it's possible. I don't remember myself either. And unlike you, I'd never read these before, and I've read all of those. So it's possible. Uh, Full Circle is a big book. There's a lot in there. So maybe... Maybe there's something. Yeah, we'll have to skim through that and look, but not right now, because <laughs> we need to talk about Kaz. We have two chasms. <laughs> <laughs> we have, because he's a trill, right? Yeah. <laughs> we have. <laughs> yeah, for the audience listening, Dan is just shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> We have Jerem, who's the doctor on Voyager, and we have Graddick, uh, who was the previous host of Kaz. 
and uh, who also was, uh, you know, working with uh, the Maquis, and this is all the stuff we learned in the previous book. So the thing is that Gratic just keeps wanting to come out. He's, you know, Kaz, I'm, I'm sorry, but Jerem wasn't trained just like Esri Dax on how to handle having a symbiont in inside himself. So he's dealing with this, like almost split personalities and trying to keep uh, Gratic back in the back of his head and Gratic just keeps wanting to come forward. And as we got into this book, he still manages that well, Garam does, but I like it when he feels like he needs to let Gratic out, that he's able to release control and bring him back in again. Yeah, it makes for some interesting parts in the book, for sure. I liked, uh, you know, the end of last novel, I was kind of wondering what they're going to do with this, because he undergoes that uh, procedure, that that kind of spirit walk that that brings him to the fore, and then can't really do anything with it, because all of a sudden they're dropped into the plot. And in this novel, they do some really interesting things with it. And I think that's one of the things that ended up being a really cool setup for how it pays off in this, because they are kind of working in tandem. And there are times where, you know, Jerem, when he's kind of focused on his work, uh, Gradic is able to kind of be suppressed a bit. But as soon as something comes up where, you know, it's emotionally triggering for Gradic or he has some sort of personal stake, one might, if they're using spiritual terms, say unfinished business, Gradic jumps to the fore and is like, oh, I have something I want to do here. I have something I want to say. And and Jerem kind of has to judge when to allow that to happen and when to, you know, say, no, 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 no. I need to finish this work right now. Just just give it a few minutes here. And that kind of push and pull is really interesting. Yeah, I really like that as well. And it seemed Gratic knew, basically, if there was stuff to be done that was doctor stuff, he just didn't even, he just backed away. And melted into the background for a bit because Jerem needed to do his job. And he wasn't willing to hate to hurt other people. You know, his attention was fully focused on Mosette. So he, anything that had to do with that, yeah, he's going to pop out. But, you know, okay, I need to perform surgery now. So please. And he just, it's like, okay, you do your thing. But he was going to have his day. Mm-hmm. I think that was inevitable. And if we're if we're going to go there, I love the way it happened. Loved it. Yes. I was because yes. I, go there. I <laughs> yes, I, I never thought for a second that Gradic would kill Moset. I never thought no, for a second, yeah. but I wanted to see what he was going to do. And he did the best thing he possibly could. He held up a mirror. Mm-hmm. to that man and destroyed him. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that. Like I was totally expecting the, you know, okay, now I'm going to slap cuffs on him and make sure he gets his, gets, right? you know, yeah. punished and gets, goes to court. And, but I was not expecting the, yeah, I'm going to play around with your soul a little bit yeah. here and actually make you confront what you've done and how it, how you have harmed the universe around you. Oh, man, that just blew my mind. I love that. Yes, I really did, too, because I wasn't sure what to expect. I knew he wasn't going to kill him. 
that's as much as I knew. And so I was just like, okay, where is he going with this? And just the motions of him using the phaser to caress like his, hmm. his cartilage, you know, his raised cartilage and stuff like that and his neck and stuff like that. I like, oh, you are working up to something. <laughs> and, and then it happens and I'm just like, wow, that is just desserts if I've ever seen them. That is the kind of justice that I like. Because, <laughs> you know, you kill a person, they don't pay for anything. They're gone. But you still have to live with everything. But to yeah. to take someone like that and show them what they truly are, whew, yeah. no better punishment than that. And I kind of flashed back to, and, and and the same thing doesn't happen to Dukat. He does. He never confronts who he is or anything. But just physically, I kind of flashed back to him at the end of the episode, The Sacrifice of Angels, when he's lost Zial. And he's, you know, just sitting kind of rocking in the holding cell. And that's kind of how I pictured Krell Moset here. Just mm-hmm. so broken. Yeah. Through a much more satisfying way. <laughs> but broken. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that, except I'm I'm glad to hear that you guys felt the same way I did. I mean, I just, I love that scene. It was like, that was the one time I just wanted to get up and cheer. Like when I got to that part and, and Grata comes out and he's showing, like you said, the mirror. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. This pays off to have this character in this book, this whole situation with Kaz building up to that moment. It was totally worth it right there. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. It was <laughs> my favorite thing in the book. Yeah, I think I can say me too, for sure. By, me three. By like a good mile. <laughs> yes. Yes. So satisfying. Just mm, love it. I can almost forgive the changeling escaping. Almost. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that part. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I brought it up again. So, okay, let's go to this other part here with Chakotay. I thought this was really interesting. I don't know if you like this or not. I have no clue what you guys think of this. I'm kind of on the fence about this whole thing. Uh, But this is what I call Super Chakotay. Because he gets powers. And these are powers he's always had from the episode of Tattoo from Voyager, which we discussed on the last episode. And that's when he met the sky people and got infused with the sky spirit DNA. Well, we come to find out that he's really able to now tap into that. And he's going to use these extraordinary mental powers that he has from tapping into the sky spirit DNA within him. Because the changeling is so powerful. That's what they say. He's very powerful, this changeling, that the only way to really defeat him is by using Chakotay's powers to get him. Thoughts? Eh. <laughs> Wait, it gets even better. Up. Well, let me just finish this part. <clears throat> the black jaguar that he sees in his walks actually physically appears in the lab to help save the day. <sighs> and even mm-hmm. our traveler, Wesley Crusher, makes an appearance to to Chakotay. They have a relationship now because of having these extraordinary powers. And go. (laughs) Okay. I'll I'll jump in (laughs) here. That says it all right there. I had a feeling that this is going to be like this. (laughs) 
Well, okay. So when I read the first book and Christy Golden was bringing in all of this stuff, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe it won't be as bad as the television show. Maybe she's done a little bit more research into actual Native American, you know, and, and, you know, still obviously at least, at least in that book, she did pay lip service to there being different tribes and different uh, belief systems and not all being one homogeneous group because that is just such a trope and it drives me nuts as someone who is you know half of my family is from one of those tribes it just drives me nuts um but with this book i, I don't i don't there's just so many mistakes from the show repeated here that really bug me and i'm not claiming to be any sort of an expert so i'm not i can't pick apart and say well this is not right and this isn't right and this is this this isn't right but it still just felt very heavy-handed and not informed and then the other thing not to pile on but i i i don't think this was the intention i don't think somebody sets out to intend to do this but once again wesley crusher shows up and tells Chicote what he has to do and then disappears and okay great we've got the great white savior coming in and telling the native guy how to do what he's supposed to do in this and i'm just i i know that wasn't the intention i know it wasn't you know it was like it was probably like oh this is kind of similar to what happened to wesley crusher let's bring him in it'll be a fun little cameo but man does it ever just rub me the wrong way and just make me shake my head like Chakotay's just standing around waiting for somebody to come tell him what to do. Ah, okay. That was my rant. <laughs> yeah. um, now I'm a Wesley Crusher fan. I, I will not apologize for loving mm -hmm. Wesley Crusher. Never will apologize for that. But his appearance in this book was jarring. It didn't fit. It didn't feel good. Um, and when this whole climax started to happen and Chakotay reappears in earthly form i'm like okay this is what we're going with really we're really doing this and there's really a black panther excuse me a black jaguar there really <laughs> not the really? car not a car not but the car. actual animal yeah the actual that would have been cool and he just pops in and he drives over everybody in the lab and and as i'm reading this i'm just like well, he's not really doing a whole lot with this power, is he? What does he do with it? He right? avoids being shot with a phaser, and he throws a bunch of stuff at Moset. And that's pretty much it. And he talks mm -hmm. to the creatures. That's all he does with this? That's the big climax? <sighs> that's how yeah. I feel about it. The setup bugged me, and then the payoff was not even remotely worth it so I, mm -mm. I i'm left scratching my head wondering why did we go through this song and dance then yeah you know it's like at least have like a serious scarlet witch moment or something reshaping reality i mean you don't have to obey the laws of the physical world and all you do is avoid a phaser blast i mean i just i if you're going to build this up, if you're going to take pages of him going on the spirit walk to build this up, you better have something big in your pocket. And this was not it. And then have Sakaya, at the time, I assumed, give her life for this to happen. Agree. Which 
thankfully <laughs> she ends up recovering there you know some uh spiritual kind of stuff happens and she's kind of frozen in time long enough for kaz to operate on her and save her life which is you know okay that's good i guess i'm, I'm glad she didn't die in service of chakotay's story which i yeah. thought they were going there and i was like oh my god really like, i thought so too yeah we're gonna well, take the one interesting woman character you've introduced here and anyway that's a whole trope but his yeah. superpowers save her you know <laughs> yeah but it's not yeah. really his superpowers it's well she's helping him yeah but mm-hmm. the the it, the link is severed when she's attacked and she dies and but blue water dreamer is holding her together. He hold, he he holds her in stasis. Chakotay has nothing to do with that. Here's the thing. Let's not just have her get injured at all. Let's not have that even happen. Let's just, I mean, if we're going to relegate her to a non-action thing of just being his anchor, let's not punish her with that as well. Let's not put her in the refrigerator, guys. Let's not do that. Exactly. So, and that was that was totally echoing through my head the whole time reading this. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah. Wesley, I'm a, I, I like Wesley Crusher. Um, sometimes I use him just to joke around about because I know some people don't like him, but I actually do <laughs> like the Wesley Crusher character, what he developed into. But yeah, having him show up in here made really no sense. It was just more of like, a, look, we're going to drop in a name, Wesley Crusher. There he is. And there he's mm-hmm. gone. Like he didn't do anything for this. It it really wasn't necessary, but I, I, I thought that it was really getting kind of dorky. <laughs> this whole thing was playing out. That's the best word I can come up with right now is dorky. Uh, and then, but afterwards, well, first of all, when I was putting this in the notes, I was thinking about, wait, why, why did we do this? Why did he have to go into his spirit world? realm and do the walk and like i couldn't even remember exactly what it was and i went back and read it it was exactly what i said earlier you know they make the comment like the changing so powerful that this is the only way to to get them is to be more powerful ourselves and i just thought that was kind of a weak thing like if chakotay's mm-hmm. already always had this kind of within him then why haven't we seen it before and why have we never seen it since really in future books <laughs> <laughs> that tells you a lot right there. But I just, but at the same time, I like this idea because of what happened in Tattoo and, and the previous novel. In some ways, it makes sense that he would have these abilities, but I just didn't feel like it worked really well in this book. No, yeah, didn't. And I, I didn't get why he was going along with it in the first place. Like, like you said, the the rationale they give is the changeling's really powerful. We need to be more powerful. So Chakotay is like, okay, I'll undergo this procedure that horribly malformed these other people, and you know, I'll just go along with it because I'm pretty sure if I go on a spirit walk at the time, it'll all be okay. Okay, well, even if you absolutely believe that to be true, why are you doing it in the first place? Like, there's not enough of a rationale given for why they're going through this. Yeah. I, I think it's honestly because it looked cool on the page. <laughs> that's that's the entire reason that a lot of this stuff happens in this book. And it goes back to what we were saying, and I'm sorry to bring it up again, the motivation of the changeling. I think 
it's a cool idea on the page to have a changeling impersonate Chakotay and take over Voyager. Why was he doing that? No idea. Why not impersonate an ensign on deck 36? Sorry, yeah. deck 15. Voyager's smaller than that. <laughs> but, you know, like, it just, yeah. I, so much in this book happens for reasons that I can't fathom other than it was written on the page. <laughs> yeah, it was It was a situation of character serving the plot instead of the plot serving the character. And <laughs> it's really, really obvious in that whole sequence. Because what is the one big thing he does that does anything to the changeling? Um, he talks to the creatures and tells them, no, this guy's bad. And so the creatures start chasing him and he hightails it out of there. He doesn't even do anything. Yeah, I was waiting for something to happen. And he just like Mm -hmm. closed the door and waved bye. And then he was gone. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just like, okay, how is this guy so powerful? He's just a big dummy. (laughs) This wasn't worth all of that effort. Why? That's what I'm left to wonder for a lot of this book is why? What was the point of any of this? You know, it's... I, I. I actually in somewhat, I mean, I did enjoy reading this book, but the more we talk about it, the more I realize how much I probably don't like it as much as I thought I did, you know, because yeah. it's, it's exactly what you're saying. There's so many times when I was reading this, and I'm just like, I didn't really like the motivation just wasn't there for these characters for me. It's like, I don't really understand why, not for all of them. Dr. Kaz is like my favorite in both books, but yes, this, yeah, with Chakotay and the Changeling, yeah, it just weren't working for me. But I would say that Mosset worked for me. I mean, that Absolutely. character worked for me. If he had mm-hmm. just been the only person and there was no changeling, this could have been a much more interesting book. Or because, make it more heavier on yeah. him and less on the changeling. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because the changeling was just a dummy. And, of course, we're not supposed to like him, but I didn't find him interesting either. There was nothing at all interesting about him. He was just your typical I should be a god sort of person and he was going to screw over anyone he could in order to get that godhood back. And that's not interesting. That's not uh, it's not what's the word I'm looking for here? I know it's in my brain and I can't find it. It's not intriguing. That's not really it. It doesn't compelling. Compelling. Thank you. Thank you. It's not compelling in any way. I just didn't care. And the thing is, like, it could be. It yes. could be interesting and compelling if he was halfway competent, you know? Exactly. Like, if this really did become, you know, a, a head-to-head battle of wits, you know, this changeling has come up with an incredibly brilliant plan and we have to somehow overcome it and figure our way out of it. But he just makes it so easy for everyone. And, and you know, I said earlier, I kind of like that he's not acting crazy, so it's not way over the top. But at the same time, walking into sickbay and saying, I'm a changeling. <laughs> that's not. No, that's not a good idea. Like, even if you think, well, I'm for sure going to kill these two people right now. We as the readers know he's not. He's Harry Kim. You know, he can only die three or four times in the series. They're not going to kill him a fifth time. Sorry. 
yeah, I forgot <laughs> too that the changeling was Harry Kim for a while. I forgot about that. Yeah, or, oh, or right too, yeah. Uh, had uh, Harry Kim's head, or was it Harry Kim's body but Paris's head for a minute? I can't remember. It was one of those two. <laughs> but yeah, and I'm just like basically. If he, again, if he had been competent, like you said, Dan, there would have maybe been some sort of complexity there, but there was just nothing. You just want him to fail, and he does fail because he's incompetent. <laughs> and there's just nothing interesting there. There's nothing... Because, you know, the most interesting villains are always the ones who think that they are doing the right thing, that they're the hero of the story, like Mosette. Far more interesting. Far more interesting. Why are Cardassians always so interesting? Because they, they, really are, always, aren't they? they think they're the hero. <laughs> That's totally. always more interesting than somebody who's just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go on. We talked earlier about Paris and you just mentioned his head on Harry Kim's body. But, <laughs> but uh, at one point here in the book... Uh, he does get on the Delta flyer and we don't know how long it took for him to get to Voyager. Two but minutes. He does, two minutes later, he <laughs> arrives to Voyager and that's when the changeling starts to flee on a shuttlecraft and then the Delta flyer is chasing him and basically shooting after him or whatever. And, and the changeling is going down to the planet, but you know, he's there to help also rescue Chakotay and Sakaya. Um, so, it's not a long storyline, but I did enjoy Paris arriving to Voyager and ending up on the bridge of Voyager and taking command because Harry Kim right now is in command because Chakotay and the first officer aren't there, but now Paris takes over on the bridge. And uh, so it was great to see Paris, but he didn't have a whole lot to do in this book. No. Mm -hmm. He, I think he showed up specifically so everybody would go, oh, yes, you really should be a first officer because that's what they've been building to, not very subtly for this entire book. Well, that's mm -hmm. my critique then about this because he just filled in, in temporarily in, in command of the Voyager. Mm -hmm. Then the story ends. And then in like the last chapter, it's mentioned, oh, by the way, uh, Tom, congratulations on being first officer. How does Balana feel about it? Oh, she's good with it. She's happy for me. And I thought Starfleet did not want Paris to be first officer. He didn't, they didn't want Chakotay and Paris to both serving together because they were both Maki or, Paris was, you know, in trouble before he joined Voyager and was getting himself into, you know, using the penal colony and all that stuff. And they're like, mm, don't really want these two together. Paris can be a first officer, but on another ship. We don't want him to get. And now it's just like, oh, now he's first officer with no explanation as to why they were OK with it now. It's mm -hmm. because he showed up in the nick of time and did almost nothing. <laughs> but that's they didn't even say that was the reason. Yeah, but that's yeah. first officers too. just show up in the nick of time and do basically nothing. Isn't that how Starfleet works? Holy mackerel, I think you've cracked it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, and, and literally it's because we have to create drama by putting some fake roadblocks in front of our characters and then somehow completely ignoring them once we get to where we want them to get to and yeah there's no i mean you know he has a few moments here and there he leads the away team that you know rescues them supposedly and you know takes the helm of voyager to land it and stuff but i mean that just proves he's a good helmsman we already knew that 
so you know there's there's no real big like come to the light moment where starfleet realizes oh my god this is the team we need at the helm of voyager we need them to be the the captain first officer team because i totally thought that's what would happen would be there would be some indispensable thing that he does that proves that this is the best place for him to be but like you said it's just kind of an afterthought that you know congratulations mr paris on being made first officer of voyager that's excellent everybody's in the place where we need them for these novels to go forward and uh great cool we filled out our roster like that's just how that's how it feels and it's really unsatisfying maybe they also really liked how he objectified female diplomats at that assembly hall Hmm? and helmswomen oh yeah 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 (laughs) he is he is top-notch at objectifying women so maybe they were just looking for another riker oh i'm sorry (laughs) i'm sorry i didn't to be fair that's everyone in this novel Mm. as well yeah there were so many times where an adjective alluding to the female's appearance were used. And I'm not talking about her having blue eyes or brown hair. I'm talking about how she was gorgeous or extremely attractive or beautiful or whatever. And every time that happened, I groaned out loud and it was getting to the point where I was just groaning every other page. It was offensive to me because I know you guys don't know what this is like, but as a woman, I have been subject to objectification my entire life. And I am so sick of seeing that in the future that is supposed to be Star Trek. Stop doing that for the love of God. Please stop that. Yeah, it stood out to me, too, because we talked about this on the last episode. Now reading this book, it really stood out to me because, yeah, when Paris comes and gets on the bridge of Voyager... You know, he looks over at the helm. There's Lieutenant Tear sitting there and he's like, wow. He's thinking how incredibly gorgeous she is. <laughs> it's and, just that, like, and that's literal. It's incredibly gorgeous. Yes. And then two paragraphs later, again, again, incredibly gorgeous. And we're in a state of crisis right now. He's taking command of Voyager to be the hero. And he sits down in the captain's chair and thinks, oh, look how incredibly gorgeous and he even says like tom don't be thinking of this right now like you're a married man and you've got a mission to do (laughs) yeah it's just it's coming from a female author especially it makes it even more offensive to me and i i will absolutely yield to your uh experience and and opinions on this because you know if if someone like me or bruce noticed that i can't even imagine how much it must stand out to you or you know, another woman reader seeing this and where it really like that bugged me Paris for sure. But where it really bugged me was on the planet, uh, when Kaz was talking about Sakaya and like three or four different times as she's like lying on the table or whatever, he kept thinking something like the beautiful, gorgeous, uh, Sakaya. And there was one where it was like, uh, he would have liked to have seen something else on that beautiful face of hers or something like that. And I'm like, you're in the middle of this thing that's going on right now. Why the heck are you? Oh, it just, it was so jarring and out of place. And like I said, I can't even imagine how that would feel to someone who's lived their entire life hearing that and seeing that objectification like that. So it doesn't feel good. I can imagine. It really, (laughs) really doesn't. 
yeah, okay, yeah, it just, yeah, yeah, it really did stand, really stand out a lot to me reading it this time for sure. Uh, but you know, then briefly, there's a small storyline about Bellana Taurus in here. I don't recall if they ever mentioned her being beautiful or gorgeous in here. I don't recall that at all. But you no, know, because she's married. Married oh. women can never be attractive. <laughs> Assuming that from experience, past experience. Well, I don't know. But anyway, so she uh, she's on the uh, she's on Boreth doing research in the library as what we saw in the last book, and she's researching the history of the Kuvama. And there's two Klingons that walk in the library, and they're more like warriors than scholars. And she gets a note at the end of the book that the Kuvama is in danger. Her baby is in danger. So this is very brief. This is a very small storyline in this book. I think maybe she only appears up in, in, I think she only appears maybe in two or three chapters at the most. And yeah, when I wrote this, I was kind of almost being facetious when I wrote this. Uh, I said the novel features an incremental advance of the Bolana story. She continues to research the history. And about halfway through the book, two Klingons walk into the library. At the end of the book, she gets the note. That's that's pretty much it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know this story is continued in the Kirsten Beyer books, and she goes some really interesting ways with it and that sort of thing. But I was really expecting some more advancement in this book, and I was really disappointed that it wasn't there. And it kind of occurred to me in the last few chapters of the book that I was like, wait, we haven't seen Blana in a while. Those two Klingons walked in. Is that all that happened? Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting yeah, to see what was going to really happen was. with the Klingons that came in there. Yeah. And, and I think we're kind of supposed to put two and two together that, you know, they're actually warriors and they're keeping an eye on her and they're going to make a move or something. And like I said, I kept expecting that to happen, but we get that note that, you know, the kid's in danger and that's it, which is where we go into the Kirsten Beyer books where she picks up that story. Yeah, I need to start reading those. I need some closure, guys. I need some closure. (laughs) It's almost like they could have touched on this since this wasn't part of the overall storyline that maybe Paris communicates with Balana at some point and she's telling him what's happening. You know, I'm still researching and that just kind of puts it back to what's going on with her. And then, and and maybe she gets off the phone with him. I know they don't use phones, but I'm just saying that she gets off the phone with him. And then that's when she gets that note. And it's almost like a little bit of a cliffhanger has nothing to do with the story, but there's a little cliffhanger at the end about Balana that you'll see in the next books. Yeah, but Mm. isn't communication with Borath like a taboo thing that it has to really be an emergency to get a message going out or coming in? I swear I remember reading that in the book. It could be because, I mean, it is a place of refuge and I can see somebody being just kind of isolated. I mean, it's almost like, you know, monks and that sort of thing where maybe it doesn't allow it. You know, like in The Sound of Music, you couldn't just call the Abbey and talk but anyway but (laughs) and they did have phones there (laughs) true they did i think (laughs) but uh i don't know i don't know but anyway yeah it just there isn't a whole lot to say about balana in this book Mm -hmm. yeah i was uh, too disappointed i wanted more because i had found their story in the previous book books excuse me the previous duology 
interesting enough to warrant its own story. And then I was hoping, oh, they're back in this. Maybe I'm going to. Okay, I'm not going to. All right. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, a lot of disappointment for me at the end of this book. Well, let's go to the very end of this book also, that uh, Amar Marion Cole, who is a Federation member representing her planet, has decided to leave the Federation uh, because of all the events that happened during the Dominion War. And a lot of this was touched on the first book. And Janeway's mission is trying to keep her planet and others as members of the Federation uh, it was kind of interesting seeing how Janeway is too busy to deal with Cole in situations when she, when Amir Cole was ready to talk to Janeway and Jane was like, Oh crap, I'm, I'm messing all this up because I, I have to make this phone call to Paris. <laughs> See, I'm, I like all the phones I have in here. And so, <laughs> but uh, I mean, to me again, it's, I feel like a thing about this book, this is my overall feeling. I think there's a lot of good things that are being set up, but it's not paying off yet. Like, I like the idea that there's a problem in the Federation that Janeway has to handle where planets are looking to leave the Federation, that they don't feel like the Federation was really there to protect them or they don't need the Federation. They're having their whole Brexit thing going on right now. And I'd love to see that play out a lot more and how Janeway is going to handle that and try to keep the Federation intact and keep these member planets as members of the Federation. But we're not getting a whole lot there, but you really could get a lot out of that if you set up a whole book or storyline to that. Yeah. And I think that would be really interesting. It's kind of almost what we get later with the secession crisis with Andor, you know, yes. and that, that whole story. I would, I was actually really looking forward to seeing more about that in this book as well. When, you know, Janeway snatches Paris up to go on this super important diplomatic mission. I, I was looking forward to that playing out as well. But then of course he gets usurped into this other story and we get, just little snippets of what's going on at the conference, which is just mostly being interrupted for her to deal with the changeling stuff. So yeah, I feel very cheated out of that story as well. Yeah. And it was while reading that, while reading those scenes that were going on, uh, I was made fully aware that I would be a terrible diplomat because I would (laughs) be the person that's just like, okay, bye. And then thinking you'll be back. You'll be back when you see what it's really like there without the Federation to help you. Go for it. Go! You ungrateful jerks, go! <laughs> that would so be me. The, the, <laughs> Sorry. So the, the, the diplomat would make the speech like, we feel the Federation has you know, blah, 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 and these are our reasons, and blah, blah, blah. And steps away from the podium, and you know, Admiral Brandy Jackala walks up to the podium, leans down. Maybe taps the mic twice and goes, bye, Felicia, and sits back down. (laughs) Yes, that. You know her so well. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I would be a terrible diplomat. I just don't have that level of patience. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you remember in this situation also that uh, is it that Cole makes this decision really on her own or is she being manipulated by the changeling because the changeling was contacting her as a friend playing you know as another character to which I think does not help the story it doesn't if you I, I, I don't know if you recall the very end of that scene but I'm pretty sure Cole is dead 
because that was the changeling talking to Janeway as Cole. Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> but prior <laughs> to that, the changeling was talking to Cole, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think he was trying to manipulate stuff and then finally was just like, you know, F it. <laughs> I'm taking care of this. And, you know, maybe he was just communicating with Janeway from wherever and Cole is fine somewhere. But I think he's not that dumb. He's killed her. She's gone. Either that or she's in stasis so that he can produce a body later when he's done being her. With a right, scalpel. sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's going to cut her up with a scalpel and then he's going to hightail it out of... No, he's going to replace Janeway. He's going to become Janeway and then, no, let's just not let's just not ever have him show up again, please. It'll be revealed it was actually the changeling as Janeway that gave Picard his orders in Star Trek Nemesis and... Okay, that yeah. works for me, but still don't care. <laughs> I just like I don't want to see this guy ever again. Do not yeah, care. Me neither. I'm. I. I don't even really care that he got away. Like I'm just like as long as we don't see him again, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and that's like, kind of how I, felt. I was really angry. And then after the book was over, I'm like, oh well, let's. Since there aren't any more of these, maybe that's just it, and I don't ever have to feel annoyed by him again. That's awesome. Like with with all due respect to to Christy Golden, I know, and I know when you say all due respect, uh, what follows is deeply disrespectful usually. But with these two novels, I'm really glad Kirsten Beyer takes over the series because her books are incredible. And speaking as someone who was not a big fan of Voyager and it was on, it was still Star Trek. It was still better than most television on otherwise. But it, it's to this day, my least favorite Star Trek televised series, Kirsten Beyer does things with those books that make them quite possibly at various times my absolute favorite book series in the pocketbooks line, which is incredible Like that she can do that to for someone who does not really enjoy Voyager as much as, any, as everything else. So, you know, again, apologies to Christy Golden, but I'm really glad if she has to step aside that what we get later on is so good. Yeah. I've liked a lot of Christy Golden's books. She's written other Voyager books, other Star Trek books, and she went on to write some Star Wars books and I think some other tie-ins. Um, but yeah, this one, I guess this will be our final thoughts. I mean, this one just, I mean, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I feel like <laughs> maybe it was, I don't know. It didn't feel that bad when I was reading it. I mean, I had some issues with the things that we were talking about, but I was still enjoying reading the book. I think one reason is because they're split into two. They were fast reads. And uh, so it was nice to sit down and just kind of go through it fairly quickly. It felt more like an episode of Voyager. I do agree that the uh, Kirsten Beyer books are not just some of my favorite Star Trek books, but they're also my favorite Voyager stories, If you, even counting this TV series. I'd rather read those books than the series. Not that I don't like the series, but the books are just that good that I think it's some of the best Voyager I've ever experienced, read, saw, or whatever. But um, so yeah, final thoughts, Brandy, on uh, my on enemy of my enemy. Uh, there, there were some really great things in this book, which I have already mentioned, but there were some things that really brought it down for me and lessened my enjoyment of it. 
And I didn't want to feel that way, but I can't help what I feel. <laughs> so it's not like I'm choosing to think this way. It's just the way I reacted to this story and the characters, etc. Strangely enough, it does actually make me want to read more Voyager books because I do want to know what happens with Bolana and Tom and the baby. And I want to know what happens with Janeway. And I I do care about these characters and I want to know more. And I want to know if Libby ever gets liberated from being just, oh, the pretty girlfriend to actually just coming clean and being honest. Because on, here's here's the thing. When you keep secrets from the people closest to you, you are not giving them the choice to love you fully. And that's not cool. And it causes problems later. And it destroys relationships. So I'm hoping, against hope, that maybe I'll get to some Voyager novel that's finally resolved. So, but I just, I felt like this had a lot of potential, but not enough payoff to make it a fully positive experience for me. So what rating would you give it? Mm, well, normally I would probably stay somewhere in the middle, but the objectification just really brought me down. So it's getting two out of five uh, dropped plot lines. Okay. <laughs> Drop plot lines. I love that. Dan, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I have to echo a lot of what was said. There's, um, a couple things in this novel that I really, well, maybe, maybe one thing in this novel that I really like. No, a couple. There's a couple things in this novel that I really liked, but there's so much of it that just falls flat for me or just really makes me kind of scratch my head and wonder why are they doing that? And I really stand by something that I said earlier that a lot of what happens in this book happens because of the fact that it looks kind of cool on paper, I think, but the motivations of the characters just don't make any sense. And I'm talking about the villain. I'm talking about our heroes. Chakotay's decision to go through this whole thing just still does not make sense to me. And, you know, he shouldn't be commanding a ship based on that alone. <laughs> like, There's just so many things in this novel that don't make sense. And if you add in a lot of these things, these problems that we had in the first novel that get carried over into the second novel that, and, you know, the fact that we're talking about them here and they get pointed out magnifies them even more. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it shines a spotlight on where there are some real fundamental problems in these books. So as much as I hate to, you guys know that I'm a very positive person and I always try and, you know, err on the side of positivity and stuff. But, you know, this doesn't make the 50% mark for me either. And I am going to have to give this one... I'd say two out of five threatening notes that were probably written on those really cute animals that we learned about in the last book. <laughs> the Voyager book line is in danger, <laughs> is what the notes say. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think for me that when I really examining this book, especially after this conversation, I think this book is playing the long game. I think it's trying to set up things for future novels to try to take Voyager forward into uh, sto different storylines with these different characters. I think Christy Golden got the characters right, the Voyager characters. I, I could hear them. I could see them. It's like they didn't feel off to me unless they were taken over by a changeling. But um, 
all the other things we're talking about, there's some things about the story that just fell short and didn't really make sense on some of the motivation. But at the same time, it was a quick read. I enjoyed it. Felt like a an episode in a sense. Um, but I think setting up those things again for the long game sometimes I think might have hurt the book because it's just like, well, where is this going? And why didn't we get a resolution? And this didn't seem to go anywhere and such like that. But uh, overall, I would say that uh, I would give this uh, three out of five in a litter of black jaguars that are actually real. <laughs> nice. Just as an aside, I was totally going to use black jaguars, and then I was like, I bet you Bruce is going to use See, because you can <laughs> always each know what I'm going to use. Yeah. We always know. We can figure each other out all the time. We've been doing this too long together. <laughs> no, you haven't been Not doing long it enough. long enough. Exactly. Yeah, Not we got a lot enough. of books to cover. So many more. There's so much more to come. Yes. We should do uh, go through every issue of every Star Trek comic out there eventually, too. <laughs> that would that would take us another couple decades. I want Cisco and Vic Fontaine to walk out now and sing "The Best Is Yet to Come." <laughs> <laughs> oh yes! Oh wow! Well, Brandy, it was great having you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I have always had a great time. So I have a homework assignment for you. Okay. Ooh, read the next Voyager book, Full Circle. Which, by the way. I looked up on memory beta just a moment ago, and apparently both Cole and the changeling are referenced in that book. Excellent. So I might go back tonight and just kind of page through it and see if I can find what they say. Well, I actually. Oh, I'm glad, glad you looked that up. That's really interesting. And I do already have that waiting. So I will get on that. Thank you. Please do, because you know what I'm saying you up for. As soon as you read that, read that book, you're going to read one, read the next and the next and the next and on. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have to listen to literary tricks to hear what we discussed about those books. Oh, gosh, will I? That sounds like such <laughs> a hardship. No. <laughs> Especially since Kirsten Byers on those episodes. So. Oh, my goodness. I don't think I can handle that. <laughs> Heads up. The third book is the best. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> So, Brandy, when you're not reading Voyager books, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on a little show called Live from the Edge with somebody named Bruce Gibson. And we broadcast every Friday night after a new episode of Discovery Drops on Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. And you can join us on YouTube and jump in the chat and chat with us while we are doing that podcast. It's a lot of fun. And uh, you can also find me on the Dark Corner podcast with my wonderful husband, Dave, talking about stuff and things when we feel like it (laughs) and posting our improv shows when we do them because we can. And uh, there are swears. So please, uh, if you're offended by that, then, you know, you've been warned. And uh, since this is coming out uh, the day before the new Twilight Zone drops... I can, I feel comfortable in saying that I am going to be a part of the Twilight Zone podcast with Tom Elliott reviewing the new episodes of the 2019 Twilight Zone. 
And I will be on one of the first episodes of that podcast, which when the time comes, you will be able to find that at the twilightzonepodcast.com or on your favorite podcatcher or online, etc. I've known Tom for 10 years or so, and he makes a really excellent podcast about the Twilight Zone, which I have had the great pleasure of being a guest on a few times. So I'm really excited about this endeavor. You can That's also find awesome. me. I know. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> so I hear he makes a really cool. great omelet, too. Oh, he totally does. <laughs> um, he he's uh, he's he's a great guy. Love Tom. And uh, also, you can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12 or my alter ego, Dark Amy Nose Rockets. Um, Dark Amy has been a little bit quiet lately because Brandy has been very busy at work. <laughs> That's my prime tweeting time. And yeah, <laughs> so and you can find me lurking in the Babel Conference as per usual. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us and I'll see you on the live show. All right. Looking forward to it. Oh, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always great to have you. Thanks, you guys. I love podcasting with you. You know, I have to say it's kind of a testament to Star Trek novels in general that it's very rare that we come across a novel on this show that we kind of left us all kind of cold. And I think this is one of those rare instances, unfortunately, you know, it's probably one of the lower ratings I've ever given a novel on this show. And it's, it's very uncommon. So, you know, for the Star Trek novels as a whole, I think that's generally a good thing. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it didn't feel that it was all that bad when I was reading it, but then reflecting on it and talking through it, it's like, uh, yeah, it's not as good as I was hoping, you know, sometimes I can come on shows and review a novel and then start to realize that, wow, just talking through this makes me like this novel even more. That was the opposite this time. Talking through, I was like, gosh, yeah, I'm starting to realize, yeah, there was a hole there. That didn't really make a sense or motivation. But, anyway, you know, again, overall, I did still enjoy reading it. It wasn't something where I just couldn't get through it or I was just like wanting to put it down. I just kept going. So I, you know, it wasn't great, but it wasn't all that bad to me. But yeah, it was just, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm glad I read it because I want to read them all. But anyway, it's been fun talking about, you know, eh, 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 today. But it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. Like you said, some of the recent novels have gone with Commander Una, uh, which is, if I'm remembering correctly, they explain a name she's kind of adopted because... She got tired of people just calling her number one or something like that. But it's still referring to this backstory of her being the best of the best, being perfect from Illyria, which is a planet that embraces uh, genetic manipulation, I think, and, and you know that sort of thing, and, and breeding for the absolute best. And she was number one in her generation or something like that. Melodic Treks. So, but after I watched Star Trek Voyager, uh, and you know, I was aware of the existence of the uh, Mini Moog Voyager. Uh, I mean, it didn't take me long to just like, oh, it would be cool one day, like if I could acquire the the synth, you know, like the first thing I do with it is redo the Star Trek Voyager theme with it. Then wouldn't that be fun, you know, the Star Trek Voyager theme we've performed by the Mini Moog Voyager, right? <laughs> Warp five. So I'm going to go to Sleeping Dogs for my next episode here. Now, 
at this point in Star Trek, I'm really tired of the Klingons, and I was on my original watch of Enterprise, and I still am. I'm really, really tired of the Klingons, so... Did I say the right episode? Sleeping Dogs, I said, right? Yes. You're just looking at me funny here. I'm like, did I say Shadows of Pajama? <laughs> no, 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 you said Sleeping Dogs. <laughs> okay, good. So... The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. She is with a fake him, and but she even says, well, it's you, but it's really only my memory of you. Right. Like, that line is heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm not the sappiest person on the planet by any stretch of the imagination. Anyone who has heard me talk for months on this network knows that. But this is heartbreaking stuff. Yeah. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond, and you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And if you have the time, we'd love it if you leave us a star rating and a written review as well. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, YouTube, in most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. And if you leave a comment on the post for this episode, we will read your comments in an upcoming show. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that'll come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter, at trek.fm, and on Facebook, at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And in the Goodreads group, you'll find that on Goodreads. And that's where we have a bookshelf with all of our previously covered books, as well as what we're currently reading, so that you'll know what's coming up for future shows. Plus, there's great conversations happening about the books and comics. So just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group. And we'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shea Matala, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM Network and being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. So, Dan, when you're not seeing Tom Paris's head on Harry Kim's body, where can people find you? You know, it's disturbing. Not as disturbing as it would be like Tom Paris's head on Janeway's body, but still just something's not quite right there. <laughs> but yeah, when I'm not dealing with that whole weirdness, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions, where I do, I have a channel where I talk mostly about Star Trek, pretty much all about Star Trek Discovery at this point right now. 
and you can also find me on facebook.com slash Productions, and of course in the Babel Conference, uh, you know, every once in a while responding to some of your comments about the show and that sort of thing. Now, Bruce, when you're not taking the Delta Flyer across the Alpha Quadrant at the speed of plot, where can we find you? It's just a matter of timing. I just don't know how long that takes. But you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And as Brandy mentioned on Live from the Edge, our live show here on the Trek FM network about Discovery. And you can find me on the Star Wars report, of course, about Star Wars. And if you happen to be going to Star Wars Celebration in Chicago next week, let me know. I'd love to meet you. Or if you see me walking around, if you know what I look like, you know what I sound like. (laughs) But, you know, just come up and say hi. So I hope to uh, meet some of you there who are Star Wars fans. And of course, you can always find me in the Babel Conference. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.